0: that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hey, Culminators. This is a very, very momentous moment because everything's (laughs) happening at the same time. And I can't think of anybody who is a better candidate to explain it to us, and I couldn't, and therefore I didn't try, uh, than than Lee Smith because one of the questions I'm going to ask Lee is the extent to which he saw it coming. It's hard for me not to think that he didn't see it coming big time. Uh, Of course, he's written two books on the end of bearing on the Ukrainian crisis, uh, the plot against the plot against the president and the the permanent coup. Right. Yeah. Lee, welcome back. How are you?
1: Ron, thank you for inviting me on. Uh, We had a great time last time, and I'm sure this time will be even more uh, formidably galvanizing. How is that? I'm I'm doing very well.
0: I will say that that's a very high standard because when I when I poked <laughs> around the internet, I see that yeah. everybody has Lee Smith on. So I'm going to have to do it it's a little bit week. better. It's, it's that, that
1: week of the year that, that Lee Smith is everywhere. You can't escape me. No one can escape me. Yeah.
0: So let me start out with the no. topical aspect and then we can go wherever we want. Okay. One of the things, I, I had a chat with um, the lovely and talented Irina Zuckerman, mm-hmm. who is actually Ukrainian born, um, mm-hmm. young lawyer uh, who sure. I've I, I, sure I know
1: Arena and I've known her for many years as we uh, yeah our paths have have crossed and you know I, 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 writing about the Middle East in particular writing about Israel and Israel's strategic uh, situation so yeah that's how arena and I met and, and know each
0: other yes and she and and it has she also you know she she had mentioned to me she's Ukrainian born of course um, but she also, focuses on psychological warfare as we used to call mm-hmm. it yeah and one of the things that i discussed with her and she had an interesting answer and i was interested to see whether yours comports with hers was why or how has the man who we were told was such a sophisticated master of mm-hmm. social media messaging that he actually manipulated the uh, the election process in the U.S. So that in 2016, Donald Trump won mm. it because of his yeah. because of his incredibly deft use of social media. How is it that that Vladimir Putin is s- so behind the eight ball on messaging? Uh, I'm not weighing in on the merits uh, of yeah. either side here, but in in the psychological in the info wars, mm. he's losing big time. What's going on? Um-
1: yeah because i think what's happened is since 2016 I, I mean right that's what the that's what um the us ruling establishment alleged right <laughs> that vladimir putin controlled all the space he had his hands on all the levers for the 2016 election in fact what we've really seen happening is that the uh, the ground has been prepared since 2016, mostly to point against Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters, but insofar as Vladimir Putin was put in the middle of this, he never had a chance uh, in, in, in messaging here in this environment, in the United States, right? And, you know, I mean, Vladimir Putin is a problem. He is a dictator, like people say. I mean, look, I, I, I watched, um, Speaking about the Middle East, I watched Putin's moves quite closely in Syria, and also I watched how the Obama administration—and this brings this will bring us up to the present and the uh, earnestness with which the Biden uh, team is now talking about Vladimir Putin. But look, the Obama administration coordinated with the Russians in Syria, right? That was the whole play, right? That the Russians—the uh, the Russians were given entry into the Eastern Mediterranean for the first time. Uh, for the first time in about half a century right so um you know but now putin from the democratic and 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 by the way just to finish it up look he bombed schools he bombed hospitals in syria there is no doubt that he will be doing the same things in 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 ukraine this is not to say that i have you know a a a strongly firmly held position right now on the actual event I, i see what's happening in Eastern, Europe, in Eastern Europe is a problem for American interest. It's a threat to American interest. Um, but anyway, controlling the information space, no, it's the, the US press, the Western press as a whole, has controlled this information space. We have to keep in mind that England, which if, if, if you can believe it, <laughs> is even more corrupt than the United States. Large on account of Russian money, the amount of Russian money that goes back and forth in London with different oligarchs paying for different services from different people, and of course we know that Christopher Steele himself was uh, was being paid by certainly by the lawyer uh, of a Russian oligarch to do work on behalf of this Russian oligarch close to Vladimir Putin named Oleg Deripaska. So the information space is 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 corrupted, and it's basically owned right now by uh, Democratic Party messaging units. And this holds here and Europe.
0: Now, it turns out rather ironic, doesn't it, that during the Cold War, it was a lot harder for politicians to take money originating in the Kremlin or anywhere in Russia or the Soviet Union because those were communists. But now everyone is just a businessman. Everyone is just a potential international partner. Mm-hmm. So you can be completely, and for some reason, there doesn't seem to be a problem taking Chinese money, but it was always a problem taking, oh, no, Yeah, taking right. even though that is still Chinese, that is still communist yeah. money. Mm-hmm. So when you say that in the U S the airspace has really always been controlled by the, by the, by the American mainstream or corporate press, mm-hmm. you're saying that in during the, during the Syria moment, mm-hmm. they were fu- they had no real issue with Putin because Putin was right. was holding hands with Obama.
1: Right. This is a, it's getting complicated, but it's relevant for the present moment because there's something very important going behind going on behind the scenes here, which we'll come up to in a second. The reason that uh, Russia was useful for the Obama administration is because the key Obama foreign policy goal was the Iran nuclear deal. right? Why Putin was important was Obama needed the Russians to be able to sustain Iran's presence in Syria. right? Had Iran gotten, had the Iranians gotten wiped out, had they lost in Syria, had they lost in Syria, it would have affected the iran nuclear deal right it would have shown a couple things it would have shown first of all that iran was profoundly weak and this would have gone against uh this would have gone against the obama administration's selling points he said no iran uh you know iran can actually manage the region as a whole but to lose in syria to people that barack obama called doctors and farmers and not really capable of putting up a real fight against the uh, Assad regime in tandem with the iranians it would have made that you know, it would have made that deal um, uh, fruitless, right? There would have been no point to it. So when the Russians came in to sustain the Iranians, right? While there were people on the air, you know, while while there were people in the press who were saying it's terrible what Putin is doing, bombing schools, bombing hospitals, Vladimir Putin is doing a really bad thing. The main point of the messaging was that Vladimir Putin is not such a bad guy he's after all fighting ISIS. What that really means is insofar as Sunni extremists were fighting against Iranians and Iranian allies, right? the Obama administration was going to go with Iran and its allies. And insofar as Putin was allied with them, that's all that mattered. right? ISIS, in a way, was just, again, part of a messaging operation. The real strategic threat to the United States does not come from bearded boys driving Toyota, Toyotas, right? It comes from a real state with real state institutions like Iran. But that's who Obama wanted to give a, a nuclear weapons program to.
0: And We can is, go through
1: the and, and details which, on that if you want.
0: Right, in yeah. which Obama 3 is in the process of doing right now in Vienna. I know you want to go into those yep. details, but before you do, yeah, I, I want to lay the ground for it with a fundamental question, Yeah, which you almost answered mm-hmm. and it and it is look we, we know that there's there is a um a really bizarre um phenomenon where and it, and it played itself out nowhere as as powerfully as in the middle east where the obama foreign policy has been to actually release or or or, or um give up existing and hard fought influence, Mm -hmm. U.S. influence. Yes. And and to actually create a power vacuum. And in the case of the Middle East, to create a power vacuum so that Iran could step into it. Mm -hmm. You alluded to this when you said that the idea seems to be let Iran be the local hegemon, mm-hmm. and there will we, we 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 know that there's there's right. this idea that 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 local hege- hegemons maintain stability in a region, mm-hmm. and we won't have to send troops and clean up the mess. Right. And uh, if if Iran will be that will be that guy, right? What on earth makes them think that Iran should be that guy? Not only yeah. given, let, let's, let's pretend that terrorism and support for terrorism weren't mm-hmm. issues because there are virtually never issues for Democrats. Yes, But let's just look at Iran, first of all, is mm-hmm. not Arab. Right. And Arabs don't like Iran as a general mm-hmm. rule. Mm-hmm. They're Sunni.
1: The Arabs i mean yeah, uh, right. The Arabs yes, are Sunni, at least as a is a Sunni majority region.
0: And and so in other words, there's the ethnic, there's mm-hmm. the lack of, of ethnic match, there's the and there's the lack of religious match. Right. And then there, of course, there's the, the Israel match, which is only one of, of mm-hmm. several mismatches. What right. is the rationale that has obviously been driving the Obama crew? You know, I, I could just see that it was somebody's Ph.D. thesis. That's what it smells <clears throat> like. That this is this is the way to achieve stability in the Middle East is right. to let Iran run it. What's the think?
1: Well, I, I mean, it is actually kind of a Ph.D. thesis, and it was the thesis of the of the British Empire as they started to get out of the Middle East that there were going to be twin powers, and the twin powers that would balance the region would be Saudi Arabia and Iran. And then there was the Iranian revolution. What a lot of people um, have failed to reckon with is that it was not Iran and Saudi Arabia who uh, became the powers in the Middle East after the British left. It was the United States, right? So what's happened, the Obama administration tried to describe it as, and I, 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 I imagine a lot of your listeners are saying, what does the Middle East have to do with the stuff that's going on in Ukraine? We want to get to that. And I, 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 I promise that these things are tied together. Sure. In a Very, very significant way. Um, the idea. So it was the United States that filled the vacuum after Iran's 1979 revolution. Right. The competition then was between the United States and Iran. Now, the way the Obama team described it was, oh, it's between Saudi and the Iranians and the Saudis have to learn how to share the region. And the Israelis have to learn how to share the region, right? No, no, it was the United States. The United States was the power um, and uh, was the power in the region, even if there weren't uh, hundreds of thousands of troops on the ground all the time. It was, you know, the the, uh, Arabian Gulf, Persian Gulf, however we wish to describe it, was uh, effectively an American lake, right? This is one of the vital waterways in all the world. And it was the responsibility of the United States to ensure the free flow of oil to, uh, to keep global markets functioning, to keep the price of oil down. The Obama administration's thesis was, well, first of all, we, we have to reckon with the fact that this thesis inflected by 1970s radicalism, right? This is what the Islamic Republic represented to 1970s radicals, right? They were waving the flag of resistance the banner of resistance against the united states and 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 other conservative powers as especially the muslim brotherhood would,
0: would do 20 30 years later and that, that had an appeal Exactly, that obama couldn't resist
1: right anyone who is waving the flag of resistance against the west is appealing right to 1970s 1980s uh, uh, era radical uh, radical westerners right we remember that during the course of the revolution in 1979, Michel Foucault, one of the, uh, you know, one, one, one of the fathers of, uh, of of this kind of Western mode of thinking, was praising praising the revolution and praising the Iranian regime. He eventually uh, he eventually turned on it. God bless him. Um, but this was a this was a very a, as much as Cuba is. So we look at the different interests of the Obama administration reaching out to Cuba, uh, wanting to make a deal with Iran. So it's heavily influenced by the ideas of 1970s radicalism, that this is what the Iranians would represent. They would represent a progressive force in the Middle East. And the other thing that was appealing to the Obama team was the violence, it was the terror. Obama, in a meeting with a bunch of uh, uh, Gulf Gulf officials, I believe it was the UAE, but with a, a number of Gulf officials, spoke highly about the late Quds force commander uh Qasem Soleimani saying well, you guys really need one of one of a uh, Qassem Soleimani who can keep everyone in order and really kind of manage the region so Obama and that administration was hugely impressed by by Iranian terror that that's what would help them manage manage the region. So again, it's 70s radicalism.
0: Insurgency. Um, Insurgency has an appeal for them. It's being the Viet Cong. It's being Mao. Absolutely. (laughs) This is absolutely, look, we
1: understand, we look at their domestic politics as well. The different people, uh, the different people they were close to, whether it was uh, Mr. Ayers, whether it was uh, Reverend Wright, I mean, the, this, this banner of revolution is still very, very important. Now, at, at this point, one of the things, I, I think one of the things that you're getting at is who would think of doing such a thing um, regarding, uh, regarding the Islamic Republic, really trying to uh, help give them a nuclear weapons program? And again, very quickly, just to explain what I mean by that, right? The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is the nuclear deal. This was never intended to stop Iran from getting a bomb, right? This was actually the first instance we saw of the echo chamber and, um, and the Obama factions uh, use of public messaging, basically the lie, right? We could understand Russiagate because we saw it happening with the Iran deal. The important thing to understand about the Iran deal are these things called the sunset clauses, which means different restrictions on Iran's nuclear program are due to expire over time, at the end of which Iran will have a totally legal, right, and legitimate industrial scale nuclear weapons program. The whole thing was meant to put Iran's bomb under international protection under the umbrella of an international agreement. The idea that it was intended to stop Iran from getting a bomb is nonsense, right? It was another lie. And we can see that in the sunset clauses. So why did Obama, why did that administration want to empower a terrorist state? Why did he want to give it the deadly, uh, provide it with the deadliest weapon known to mankind? This raises a host of other questions.
0: I remember from international relations uh, when I studied in college that there was this concept, again, going back to stability, that there's something more inherently stable about having tension between joint hegemons than mm-hmm. having one hegemon, because of the one hegemon, and remember, the premise here is on the left, that the United States in and of itself is not has no moral superiority to any other right. hegemon. So, um, so if Israel has a bomb, mm-hmm. it will be more stable for the region if Iran yeah. also has a bomb.
1: If a competing power has a bomb. Right.
0: Just at, because, and right. there was even a, a school of thought that said that when nuclear, when, when rogue states become nuclear states, they grow up. Mm-hmm. because yeah. they now have to live with the maturity and responsibility of being yeah. nuclear states and i remember that was not a, even in, in even the 80s was that was not a favored oh. approach the non-proliferation world yeah. but i do know that the, it's fascinating to me that these views of the world never are never updated to reflect facts kind yeah. of like COVID policy, right? Um, So the fact that virtually every Arab state is now has relations, you know, now has diplomatic relations with the state of Israel, and Mm -hmm. that no one's really involved in lobbying bomb, you know, you know, in in war with Israel other than the Palestinians, who none of the Arabs like. that's not allowed to intrude on this again, academic concept of the st- inherent stability. Yeah. So so hell with real stability, let's go with, yeah. with whiteboard stability. All right. Okay, so this is gonna happen, right. and it's gonna be under, you know, just obvious, I, you know, you, you talk about the big lie, the big lie. I remember when it, you know when when the big lie was promulgated. The the big lie at the time really was better no deal, better a bad deal than no deal at all. Mm-hmm. That's the dumbest like that that any adult could possibly you know right. what a, everything's a bad deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. the well, bully,
0: the bully said, "Give me your lunch money." Okay, right. here's my lunch money. Why didn't you negotiate right. with him? Why don't you fight back? Well, I wanted to yeah. make a bad deal because right. a bad deal would be better than no deal at all. <laughs> right. All right, so here we are now. Let's see if I can get us back into the Ukraine lane. I'll give okay. you a shot at doing it. I think okay. probably have no difficulty.
1: Okay. Well, let me say first of all, I totally agree with the, with, with with your take on the bad deal. And like, you, I mean, you're a lawyer; you know much better than me. Anyone who comes back, yeah, this is the best we could do. It's like you're get at and and you expect to make partner. You make a deal like this, and what are you kidding me? And by the way, all the people who were negotiating are are in uh, outside of Washington. They're high-powered lawyers, right? Like Wendy Sherman. Um, these are real lawyers. And if if you came back to your firm with a deal like this and said, well, that's the best we can do," now you should go, and 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 we're not even giving you a chance to pack your stuff. The fact is, this is the deal that the president of the United States wanted. He wanted Iran to have a nuclear weapons program. He wanted Iran to have sanctions relief for many hundreds of billions of dollars. That's what they wanted. Now, uh, Donald Trump exits the JCPOA in May 2018. The Democrats are furious. They're outraged. They think that things are becoming uh, or they argue that things are becoming much more dangerous. In fact, Trump had the Iranians fairly well in hand. Um, one instance of that was when he, uh, when he had Qasem Soleimani killed. Everyone's expecting the region to explode. It didn't explode, right? Joe Biden made it right uh, a priority, a foreign policy priority to re-enter the Iran. Joe Biden, right, exactly. The late Joe Biden um, made it a priority to re-enter the Iran deal. Now we come to Russia and Ukraine. Um, In 2014 and 2015, and even before 2014, the Americans, the American side under Obama, they were dealing, negotiating directly with the Iranians. That's not been happening now. Who have the Americans been negotiating with over the Iran nuclear deal over re-entering? The Russians. It's the Russians who are holding the Iranian file. That's what's going on. One way to understand what happened in Ukraine, right? We saw a press report that the uh, Russians decided to uh, hold off as a favor to the Chinese who wanted to make sure that people were able to watch the Olympics uh, <laughs> w- without 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 Russian bombing, uh, r- the r- Russian onslaught of Ukraine interfering. I think a much uh, better way to understand this uh, is that the Russians understood what was going on, that the, Obama, uh, the Biden administration so desperately wanted the JCPOA and their hands would be tied if the Russians moved on Ukraine at this particular moment. So when the Biden administration now, as I'm sure you've seen, um, you know, is, is going on about sanctioning the Russians for what they're doing in Ukraine, What people don't understand is that the Iran nuclear deal, because the Biden administration has done a very good job of concealing this, the Iran nuclear deal will flood Russian war chests. How? Because Iran will become a nuclear client of Russia's. The Russians will go in there and help the Iranians finish off their nuclear weapons program. They will become a weapons client of Russia, insofar as the Russians and the Chinese will sell the Iranians arms. right? They will also become an economic client as the Russians will go in there and help them develop. So regardless of what's happening on the Ukraine front, it's important to see what the Iran nuclear deal means. It's not just about giving a terror state uh, the bomb. It's also about empowering Vladimir Putin. So when Joe Biden says that we're really digging in uh, against the Russians, we're really against Vladimir Putin's aggression. The thing that's going on in the background is the Biden administration is filling their war chest with money. That's what's actually happening.
0: Now, here's a really, really important question. And if it weren't you, I don't know if I could get a straight answer from anyone else. (laughs) Because a lot of people, including people like, like our friend Jack Posobiec, are suggesting or saying outright, this is all how it was planned in fact the whole reason that the that the that the invasion took place now was to provide a cover for the what's going on in vienna Mm -hmm. and to also provide incredible opportunity for russia to start uh you know getting cash on hand and for and for camouflaging who's the good guy and who's the you know all these things now I I, that's a little too conspiratorial for me, and Mm -hmm. in fact, listening to your analysis makes me question the reasonableness of that assumption, in part, because we're back to Putin is Hitler. Mm -hmm. And if we want to say that international supervision of Iran is what we want, and we know that Iran is going to always be closer to Russia for reasons than to the United States. Why would we want Iran to be even more tightly bound to Russia than it would have otherwise been if not for the Ukraine situation? So what's your take on that? Well,
1: I mean, to start at the top, I I think I think certainly the Russians are clever enough to put it like that. I mean, it was it was it's obvious, right? I mean, the Biden administration is so desperate to get into the Iran dealer and said you know, let's tie this into different things. I mean, they did it before in Syria, so this is a this is a typical this is a typical Russian play, right? So it's not surprising that the Russians set wait, it up like this.
0: This is a tip. So way. in other words, moving in as a reaction to to power vacuums created by I mean, being I, being, being opportunistic. Yeah. What's the play? Yeah.
1: I, I, well, I, I the Russians understood how much the Biden administration wanted the Iran deal. They saw that as an opportunity to move on another front, which is Ukraine. And they would understand that what, what's the obvious play of the United States. The first move of the U.S., it's never, um, you know, it, it's a show of force with aircraft carriers and sanctions, right? Uh, because the United States officials think that sanctions come basically, uh, you know, cost free. <laughs> you can just impose sanctions. So the Russians would have understood that and they would have said, well, Good. They're going to try to impose sanctions, and we're going to tell them what's going to happen if they impose sanctions, uh, and and they will understand very clearly. Do I think the Biden administration knew what was going on and in that and that way? No, I I don't think that that they understood that this was a likely uh, this was a likely thing to happen. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. What what what, what I, I, after that? What was the other thing you mentioned? Because I wanted to well- take them in order.
0: Uh, Well, so so I said it was it all was it all planned? This oh, the other thing I mentioned was why would the U.S. why would the Biden administration, if 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 the if the hypothesis is, it's good to have Iran's nuclear program um, under international supervision, uh, it's stable. But if Putin is Hitler, how why would we want to drive Putin and Iran closer together? It would seem that I mean. Going back to sort of my original premise, which was that any reduction in American influence is, is seen as a good thing, right. it's a little bit, a little bit even for the Obama team, much to go from Putin is is unreasonably interfering in American politics yeah. and he's Hitler, and he's the worst thing since sliced bread, since really since sliced bread with mold, I guess, um, to he's a good he's the guy who we should trust to keep an eye right. on Iran.
1: Yeah, Um, they don't. Well, no, no, I mean, the way that the Obama administration perceived Iran, its relationship with Iran, right, was that they were arming an an ally, right? That's the idea that uh, the realignment of U.S. interest meant that Iran was an ally. They were going to arm an ally. Putin is not, you know, the way that they perceive this. It's not that uh, Putin is an ally of Iran. Uh, Putin is um, Putin it will help protect American interests. That's what they did in, in Syria. The idea was that Putin would help protect American interests, which was the alliance with Iran. So no, they don't they don't see that that um, you know that, that the important thing is the the Putin-Iranian alliance. So this is actually what's happening but the way that they perceive it is entirely different, that Iran will be an American ally and that Putin has done things in Syria and elsewhere around the world to help advance American interests. They, they, don't, they, they do not believe that Putin is Hitler. They do not believe that Putin is, is a fundamental problem. And I'll tell you one of the ways we know it paradoxically is the idea that they put Putin in the middle of Russia game, right? What does that tell you? I, I, that tells you the way that they perceive Russia they perceive Russia as a lesser power; that Russia is not a real threat, right? Uh, you know, because w- would they think of doing that to China? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially given the amount of money circulating through Washington and wherever else—New York, Hollywood, well, uh, fact, the I, Academy. That's,
0: that's one of the things Arena said, which was yeah. that obviously, obviously there there were and probably still are Russian bot farms, and there have of course there's always an effort to undermine american institutions and to infiltrate them but th- they didn't swing the election what they did do was form a narrative about who putin is and right. that and and by making him number 2 then china then we forget about china and her point yeah, was that china is the yeah. china is the real adversary here forget about mm-hmm. how many soldiers, actually China always has the most soldiers, but, but forget about the nuclear arms and forget, you know, and forget mm-hmm. about the Navy. China is by far more to be feared, especially because of its integration mm-hmm. with the American economy and yeah. corporate culture um, than, than Russia will ever be. I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's hard to know exactly how much of this is intentional, but certainly that was the effect, right? By focusing on Russia, by making Russia, America's are certainly the Democratic Party's number one adversary. right? So it, g- it gave China a lot, it took a lot of the heat off of China. But of course, uh, especially the Democratic Party, especially the Democratic Party is, is keen to protect its relationships with China. We're, we're, we're moving all around here, but, we'll, but you and I'll manage to tie it together. Well, because, because what we're seeing is the rise of a new bloc here. And that bloc is China, Russia, Iran and other affiliated groups like non-state actors like Hezbollah uh, like Hamas and so this is the rise of a new bloc. The thing about China is is that I, I you know I I I don't like to be too partisan not not because it's not because it's a, a, a bad a bad show <laughs> I believe that the Republicans are are guilty of many foolish things which we can talk about in a second the most recent foolish thing they've done but The the Democrats are structurally pro-China, by which I mean, if you look at, the Democrats cannot run campaigns without money that is directly tied to China, given that its major donors are from Wall Street, big tech, and Hollywood. That is all money tied to the Chinese Communist Party. It it, it is dependent on solid relations between the U.S. uh, corporate and political establishment, and the Chinese Communist Party's elites, right? So, the Democratic Party cannot afford to go out on a limb against China, or even—I mean, we, we, you know, we've seen what the Biden administration has done, right? The Biden administration's DOJ has stopped this initiative started on, 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 under the under the Trump White House, right, to aggressively go against Chinese espionage. Right. The Biden minister said, that no, racist. We're not going to do that. That sounds terrible. Also, bigger, all of
0: a sudden, they're also losing these cases. Yeah, right. Well, but, you saw, did you see the
1: Charles Lieber case? Have you read anything about the Charles Lieber case? Boston, uh, you know, the, the, the Harvard professor? Yeah. Well, he was charged. He was charged with lying to the FBI. Right. What was what did he lie to the FBI about? They asked him, they said, are you a member of China's Thousand Talents program, which is, a, which is nothing but an espionage ring, right? Getting foreigners and getting, um, getting Chinese nationals abroad to help advance the interests of the Chinese Communist Party, right? He lied about that, meaning he's I actually am. working for the Chinese, right? But what did they charge them with? They just charged them with lying to the FBI. Why is this a, is it a harder case to make, presumably, but also they don't wanna to shine too much light of what's really going on. And again, to talk about structural issues, there are hundreds of thousands of visa holders, student visa holders. There is no way that the 13,000 agents of the FBI can have all of these student visa holders, right? Can be looking at all of these people who are stealing sensitive and in some cases classified information from the United States and passing it on to the CCP? That's structural. How do you stop students from spying on the United States? You don't ramp up the number of FBI agents, right? You cut down the number of student visa holders, but that won't happen either because of structural issues in the United States.
0: Pretty encouraging. So it-
1: well I, the thing is the thing is these things can be these things can be addressed they can be fixed and resolved once people actually get serious about the issues but of course we know the Biden team is not right and that's not because of the money that Hunter and Jim and Joe Biden were getting from CCP businessmen right it's about the nature of the democratic party when you hear different people say like, we're going to uh, China is a challenger and a competitor. That's not the way to describe China. That's, what's not, that's not what's happening. The other thing is, look, two years ago, um, by, lying, uh, by lying about how, uh, when, and where COVID-19 started, by lying about the nature of transmission, at that point, COVID became, in effect, a bioweapon. We don't know whether the release was intentional or not, but it became a bioweapon after they lied about it. Right? No one has held them responsible. Right? And the Biden administration, the, uh, the DNI, the intelligence community assessment is like, we'll just never know what happened until the Chinese decide to give us information themselves. In other words, we're gonna clear the Chinese. And what we're gonna do is instead, two years after they release this bio weapon, we're going to bring the world to celebrate the Chinese Communist Party here in Beijing at the, the 2022 Winter Olympics. So we're talking about what incentivizes, what emboldens American adversaries. It's uh, American leadership, it's the people who are uh, either elected to or appointed to help manage our system. This is why American adversaries are emboldened. This is why Vladimir Putin was emboldened to move on Kiev, right? It's not just about the NATO issue. There are lots of other issues that are going on here. This is why uh, This is why, if you're a Taiwanese patriot right now, you would be worried about what's happening. Well, the Americans never did anything about Hong Kong either. Hong Kong, Wuhan, um, what, what, what good is it to have an alliance with the United States? If you were, uh if you're sitting in Jerusalem, if you're sitting in Riyadh, uh, if you're sitting in Abu Dhabi, and you look at how the Iran nuclear deal is going, you're well, thinking, our what's wrong?
0: I mean, our, but our political system, going back to the most recent two Lee Smith books, if our political, if we have a rule that, that unless it's Donald Trump foreign policy is set by the chief executive by the by, by the by the executive right. branch right um, if somebody thinks that there's a um, what was it the multi-agent, mul- there's a multi-agency consensus, the, 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 that,
1: inter-agency that, consensus. The, inter- the interagency yes. consensus the interagency consensus as the real yeah, bright guys refer to it
0: yeah. right so if if that if that is different from what the president says then then, then that wins but before right. that there was always if you're going to have these wild swings, because mm-hmm. you know Trump's policies basically reflected, if you didn't have Obama, you'd have a, a fairly smooth curve. Which is not there is no real smooth curve of American no. foreign policy. <laughs> but but standing far enough back, it would be a lot smoother without the Obama era. And so they're going. Yeah, that's true. In, they're going all in, all in, yeah. and you know, uh, it's it's pretty distressing if. Um, we have to, you know.
1: That's we, a very important point. And of, of course, it's uh, it's a delicate point because it has to be explained and you have to put detail on it. But you're right. You can say that, well, look, our problems with China go back to um, not so much 1972, the opening with Beijing, but what started to happen in the 90s under Bill Clinton. And this is a bipartisan issue, right? Everyone wanted to uh, get China. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Everyone back then, right? And some people have gone back, like you know, God bless him. Uh, Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich has gone back, and he's he's revised his ideas on this. It seems that Nixon had too. But during the 1990s, so you see a trajectory of U.S. and China relations. It goes that way. During the Obama years, something flips. It's not just about China; it's about Iran too and i think we have to be able to talk about it but a lot of it does have to do with um, 1970s 1980s era radicalism and i think that right now if we look at what if we look at what's been happening to the united states to american citizens whether it was Russiagate, whether it's january 6th we see that many of the people um in in positions of responsibility do not like america and they do not like americans and again we're always talking about a problem with our political class which is accurate but something different happened during the obama years and i I think it will become more and more important for us to um to dig a little deeper on that and explain why these things happen this is this is a um a, a radical shift we've seen here right the united states foreign policy establishment wanted to reopen Uh, relations with Iran since 1979. right? Every president attempted it. So in that way, you can say, well, the US has always wanted uh, good relations with the Iranians for, for, you know, I I think for many crazy, uh, sentimental uh, reasons. But the idea of giving the Iranians a nuclear weapons program, well, that's a different idea. So what happened during the Obama years?
0: Which we're not going to answer today, and probably not even tomorrow. (laughs) But standing standing on the outside, we can see that what it was was um, very hard to reconcile with any traditional, at least, concept of of what's good for America. Um, In the near term, we're seeing disastrous consequences. Um, Both, you know, you mentioned COVID and you mentioned the way we dealt with and addressed the reality of COVID and the political and financial and corporate and cultural changes that have taken place. You have an entire yeah. generation of heroes, the NBA, who have come to identify their well-being with that of of, of the Chinese Communist yeah. Party. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a corporate cadre that's extremely comfortable in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're back to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. As just to finish up. Yeah. What... Irina thought that Putin, notwithstanding all this, mm. all his opportunism and all the things he has cutting his way, she thinks that he overplayed his hand. Mm-hmm. That he's actually. Yeah. And to some extent, the, the terms that he apparently is offering Ukraine mm-hmm. suggest what seems like a substantial moderation, mm-hmm. not with, because those terms weren't offered beforehand. At least, not, at least not publicly. So what you really have is if we could completely master the strategic military situation in a week or 10 days, we'll reintegrate yeah. the entire Ukraine into the Soviet Union or make it a real, a real puppet state. Now it seems that this, her feeling was that there has to be some kind of climb down because his supporters are getting hurt. Yeah. His, his oligarchs are losing money. Yeah. Oil alone won't make up for that. But what do you think?
1: Um, I, I don't know, I mean, we, we rightly distrust the information coming out of both Russia and Ukraine because they're in the middle of a war. So this is what happens. You have propaganda coming from both sides. I would just say the information that's coming from people on our side, these are the same people who said when Putin went into Syria, right? The White House said, oh, he's entering a quagmire, stupid Putin, how foolish. No, instead what Putin has done is he, uh, you know they have a deconfliction mechanism with the Israelis. The Israelis don't have uh, air superiority anymore over all of the Eastern Mediterranean, right? So the idea that Putin has entered a quagmire he can't get out of, I'm, I'm afraid we we don't know these things yet. Um, and I I I don't look. The, another important thing to understand is this is not simply a security issue, right? It's also a territory issue by which I mean, I I think actually for all of the talk we've had about Hunter Biden and what Hunter Biden did in Ukraine and the money the Bidens were collecting from this this Ukrainian energy company under investigation, I actually think we've underplayed it. I think if you look at what's happened in many ways, the Democratic Party challenged Vladimir Putin. Uh, He challenged his he challenged his own racket in Ukraine. This is a fundamental issue. So what? So Putin's oligarchs are losing some money now with the. And again, I, I don't know if that's the case. I'm sure Irina has very good information. I don't know, but I'm saying on the other side of that is say, well, they'll they'll make more money if they control the important uh, the important industries, <laughs> namely uh, you know transfers, uh, tr- transfer fees in Ukraine. So, I, I, again, it, it, it's, it's very foggy right now, but I, I instinctively distrust anyone because of the information we've seen about Putin before, who says that, oh, yeah, he's in a heap of trouble right now. He, he may be. I just counsel um, uh, patience from others because we've seen it before. Just very quickly, I, I want to say two more things, if possible. First, about the fog of war. When you hear the different things coming from the Russian side and the Ukrainian side and how it's funneled through the American press, right, you can say, well, they're at war. This is what happens. Propaganda comes from both sides. Casual, uh, you know, truth is the first casualty of war. But So why is this? Why does all of this sound so much like what's been fed to the American people for the last five years? And tragically, we now have the obvious answer <laughs> because our establishment is at war with the American people, whether it was Russiagate, whether it was Kavanaugh, whether it was Ukraine Gate and impeachment, whether it's COVID, whether School it's boards. January 6th, this propaganda campaign, this, these operations against the American public means that our ruling establishment is at war with at least half the country, if not much, much more. That's very dispiriting. Sure. The other part of this propaganda campaign, just to bring it back to Ukraine and, and finish it off, if you like, is this. The idea that the Republican Party is now intending to join the Democrats by going after Putin and by going after his energy resources is a historic blunder right? There is a way in which the Republicans could say, look, we're, we're more anti-Putin than anyone. And don't believe the Democrats, because here's what's really going on in the background. But if you expect us to be on the hook for high energy prices, if you think that we're trying to punish the American working and middle class, you're crazy. Now, let's get together and do something serious about Russia. But we're not going to follow along this democratic play here to make Americans suffer. Sure, would we like them to uh, ramp up domestic production? Of course we would. They're lunatics, but it's never going to happen. And you know why? Because the Green New Deal is the most important thing to the Democrats. That's all that matters. They're never going to ramp up uh, domestic production. So the idea that we think playing along with the Russia stuff is going to get them to ramp up domestic production is nonsense. They're going to pocket sanctions on Russia, which will be sold as we help them in a bipartisan show, we help them raise energy prices. In November, we're gonna be in trouble because they're going to blame us. They're going to say, oh yeah, the Republicans had as much to do with it as the Russians. They're gonna pocket that as a victory and they will never ramp up domestic energy production because there is nothing more important the Democratic Party platform than the Green New Deal. And why? Because that's another instrument to destroy the American working and middle class, right? To undermine the basis of our fossil fuel economy. With the Green New Deal, this is the key. This is all they want. So GOP leaders have, have made an unforced blunder here. That's and what they do. It's, That's exactly. They do. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible for the country. It's terrible for the geo. It's terrible for the American uh, public, for the American working and middle class. Nonetheless, I want to end on a very positive and optimistic note, which is the more and more we see the blunders of our political class, our ruling class, the more and more we must come back to the realization that we are Americans and we are responsible for leading ourselves. And there are great leaders all around this country, whether they're in media like you, Ron, whether they're, uh, whether they're some political officials, local, state, you know, everyone talks about Ron DeSantis, phenomenal leadership. Leadership in in schools, um, in churches, in synagogues, uh, in medicine. So it's time for us to look and understand what the country is about, to put our reliance, to to rely on these people. Maybe they're not trying to sell us out. Maybe they're not. I'll give them some credit. But they're they're idiots. How's that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it is capable psychologically to imagine them rationalizing. Oh, yeah, of course. Not, oh, that we're right. sell- not that we're selling people out. Sure, I'm making a few bucks, right. but everyone's, everyone's making a few bucks. Come on. Right. But this is for the good of the country. This is for right. the good of the country because really China, at the end of the day, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Lee, incredible. I just want to make it clear to everyone watching and listening. I never have to do another one of these again. Okay, this is the end. <laughs> I'm culminating the culmination <laughs> podcast because this is it. We covered every little thing. All we got
1: almost everything here almost everything.
0: Lee, a real pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. A Thank short you notice. so much,
1: Ron. I really appreciate it. This is a great, a great honor and a great treat. It's, a, it's always a lot of fun speaking oh, to yeah. you and I look forward Same to here. doing it again before too long.
0: Thanks a lot. And the, the book, uh, there's a book on the way out or, or just the one that just came um, out?
1: Well, I'm working on one now. I'm not going to talk too much about it now, but I will say that I have a great, um, Five-part series I did with the Daily Wire on China and the corrupt American establishment called "The Enemy Within," and the production values—I mean, it's beautiful. They did excellent. a tremendous job, and and I tried to live up to um, the the excellent work they did. So I'm I'm the host of the series, and I hope that uh, that your viewers it all, check has it out. Has it come? Is it? It's, a, oh, yeah, it's, it's all it's available. available. It's Five-part yeah, series with The Daily sure, Wire sure. called "The Enemy Within." So please, um, I I hope. Uh, Fantastic. Your excellent audience will check it out. I, if, if they haven't had enough of me already today.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see, won't we? We'll see. All right. Thanks All right. so much. Thank you, Ron. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.